welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Good to see everyone's smiling faces this morning. Been on holidays for the last three weeks and got locked down and had to wear masks. So it was super relaxing because we couldn't actually go anywhere, but uh, enjoyed a bit of time off at home. Hope everyone's been, you know, praising the Lord throughout this this last couple of weeks. Um, glad I'm back. Yeah. And so yeah, this uh, we're actually starting kicking off a series this week, as as Pastor Josh said on that video. There, we're heading into our faith offering, and in the lead up to our faith offering, we're going to be going through Hebrews chapter eleven. And we're going to spend the next five or six weeks breaking that passage down, Hebrews chapter 11, which really is an encouragement on faith. And so uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to have different people speaking into different aspects and areas of that chapter of faith. So I I encourage you during your home time today, during your personal time with the Lord, to, to have a read through not just Hebrews 11, but the whole of Hebrews and get some context and uh, have a look at what God might be saying to you in this season through His Word, what He might be wanting to inspire in you, what He might be wanting to, to challenge in you, what He might be wanting to grow in you through His Word. So Hebrews chapter 11, and particularly that, that chapter, but maybe read the whole of Hebrews. It's so rich. Who loves God's Word? Good. We love the Word of God. I love to get in there and just to, as I've even been unpacking some of the starting of Hebrews chapter 11, I'm just like, whoa, we could do a series on one verse. We could do like 10 weeks on one verse. I could probably preach for the next 45 minutes on one verse, but I won't. But uh, it is so meaty, it is so good, and it's such an encouragement. And so it is about faith. And you know, this morning, I want to tell you a story about a man named Joe. And Joe, not Job, Joe, was walking along the street, and it was was late at night, and and Joe was walking, and he fell into a pit. And this was a really, really deep pit. And he couldn't see the the bottom of this pit. It was was nighttime, so it was dark. But as he was falling into this pit, he grabbed onto a branch that that was, was sticking out of the side of this pit. And he was holding on for dear life onto this branch. And in his moment of being stuck in this this pit, uh, Joe just cries out and says, Is there anyone up there that can help me? And he hears this voice, I am here. And Joe calls out and goes, Who is that? And this voice comes back and says, It is I, the Lord. And Joe says, The Lord, as in God... And the voice cries back and says, yes, Joe, this is God. And he goes, oh, God, can you please help me? I'm stuck in this pit and I can't get out. And the voice says, yes, Joe, I can help you. And Joe calls out and says, God, if you can help me, I'll do anything. I'll come back to church. I'll start to serve. I'll stop stealing from my taxes. I'll do anything if you can get me out of this pit. And the voice says, I'll get you out of the pit, but you have to trust me. And Joe says, I trust you, God. Tell me what I need to do to get out of this pit. 
And the voice comes and says, Joe, let go of the branch. And so Joe, holding on for dear life to this branch, looks at the branch. He looks down to this bottomless pit. He looks back to the branch. And then he looks up and he yells out, is there anyone else up there that can help me? We can be a bit like that with our faith in God. Where we say, God, I trust you. I want to trust you. I want to put my life in your hands. And then when he says, well, this is what I want you to do. This is what life's going to look like. This is how I want you to move. We're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Maybe uh, I'm looking for a different voice or for, for a different encouragement. But this morning, I feel like in Hebrews, God wants to encourage us in our faith. In our faith to not be uh, some sort of feeling kind of faith, but to be something that is rooted and grounded in Him. And uh, we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 11. And I've got lots and lots of passages here. One of the things about Hebrews, you know, if you want some context to it, is that it it it's a it's a letter that's been written to a, uh, a group of churches, to a group of Christians, who with the assumption as they're reading this is that they have a good understanding of what we would say the Old Testament or the Torah. They have a, a, a great understanding of what has come before them, what, what the Old Covenant looked like. And so the writer to the Hebrews actually makes lots and lots of cross-references back and forth between what was said in the Old and what, what, what is said now in this, in this letter. And what he does is he uses Jesus as the filter by which we should understand the Old Testament. We understand the Old Covenant. Can we put that little picture up of that rainbow, please, Phoebe? This is actually a, a infographic. Do we have it? Maybe not. Well, there's an infographic. You can Google it, which uh, shows the, the cross-references from old to new in the, in the Bible. And it makes a... a if you look at that, these are all the different references that where one passage references another. Isn't that amazing to look at? I'll tell you, this book was not penned by just humanity. This was authored and inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God Himself. All of those connections from one to the other, Messianic prophecies, someone spoke of Jesus to come and then referenced back. And Hebrews is actually filled with this. So the writer is kind of assuming that they have an understanding, but he's using Jesus as the filter by which we look back into the Old. In the Old Testament, we see that Jesus was concealed, but in the New Testament, we see Jesus is revealed. And Jesus is the filter by which this, this writer of this letter tries to show the, the, the people to look back as they consider those that had gone before them. The other thing that the writer tries to do and uh, throughout is to, to elevate the understanding of the supremacy of Christ, that He is the one supreme being, that He is God, that He is eternal, that He is the exact imprint of God, it says, that He is the radiance of God, it says. And the writer, again, is trying to say, you've seen it in the past. We, we, we experienced Moses, and Moses was a man of God. But Jesus is greater. We experienced Abraham, and Abraham was a man of God. But look to Jesus. And so the writer is constantly um, com making comparison throughout the letter uh, between this person and Jesus. 
and saying that whilst this person did what God called them to do, don't get stuck there and look at just the, at what they did, but look at it through the lens of Jesus because he is greater. He, he elevates Jesus and makes, wants to make sure that they understand that Jesus is Lord. And so as we read through Hebrews, we do so with that understanding that uh, the, the writer is trying to elevate Jesus in the eyes of the listener, in the eyes of the, the uh, reader. And the other thing that he's doing throughout that, that uh, letter is encouraging them in their faith, is encouraging them to endure, to stand firm. That's why I say I'm not talking about a, a fuzzy feeling type of faith. I'm talking about a faith that, that is the difference between life and death for some people. The letter encourages those who, who have been uh, persecuted, those who are being in massive trials, to stand firm, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and to keep your eyes upon him. We're going to, before we go into uh, Hebrews 11, I just want to read just the, the end of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. It says, Recall the former days when you... you when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with, with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had a compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Listen to that. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you know that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Come on. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you, ha you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the and the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere in our souls. Can you see what's happening here? That the writer is encouraging his, the, the, the churches to stay firm, to have faith. They've endured many persecutions. They've endured many difficult trials. And yet they've done it with joy, knowing that Jesus is still alive, that he is still on the throne. This is not just, a, I know we, we kind of kind of contextualize this. And, um, you know, sometimes we have trials in life. Sometimes uh, we're persecuted for our faith in, you know, the way that people speak about us. But let, let me just say, compared to what happened to, to the early church and to particularly to these people that were receiving this letter, what we have experienced may not even be close in significance. I mean, they were beaten, they were bashed, they were driven out of their homes for their faith. This was not just a comfortable kind of let's get together on a Sunday, have a bit of fun, have a bit of church. This was like our faith is our lives. And following this Jesus could cost us our lives. We look over in, overseas and we see that even the church in China, I'm hearing the, the, the testimonies of revival that's coming through the church in China. But do you know in many provinces, it's, it's considered illegal to meet together and to worship Jesus without the approval of the Communist Party. But they still do it. They gather together and, and they meet together in homes and in what they call the underground church, and they worship Jesus. And guess what? If, if they are caught, prison, 
some execution. They just go missing. But they still do. We're like, if it's not raining, I'll come to church. If it's, no, 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 I'm not having, I kind of am having a crack. <laughs> no, no, but do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, kind of complacent about it. We have this freedom to come together. They can't clap in some places because if, if people hear clapping, they know that they're worshipping and the, the police will come in and take them away. And yet they meet together because it's important for their faith. And so these people that were receiving this letter, they've been in difficult times. And so this letter is an encouragement to them to stand. Anyone else, you, you need that encouragement sometimes? Maybe some of us don't, but, but I do. I, I have times when I'm like feeling weak, when I'm feeling weary, and I just need that encouragement from the Lord to just you know, rise back in my spirit, to stir up faith again. So he says this to them, and he's, he's encouraging them. And then we come to chapter 11, verse 1. And it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is the, exam- this is the, the explanation of faith. He's pointing back to chapter 10 where he was speaking about this faith. And now he's kind of explaining what this faith looks like. This faith contains an assurance of those things that we hope for and a conviction of those things not yet seen. Faith has an element, a huge element of not seeing what is taking place, of not being able to see all the details, but still having a conviction that because God is who He he is and because He has said what He said, that we can have assurance that He will bring to pass everything that he has said. So there's these two really important words here. Faith is the assurance and the conviction. The assurance and the conviction. Now, let's have a, have a think about sometimes what can happen with the, the understanding or the idea of faith in our own lives is that we build faith not upon assurance from God, but upon assumptions of God. Where we make an assumption of what God should be doing or what we think God would do in a situation. And then we we rest our faith on that assumption of God rather than having an assurance of what he said he wants to do. And then what happens is we get upset with God because he didn't do what we thought he was going to do when we made the assumption of what we thought he was supposed to do in that situation. We read in Romans that that the the scriptures tell us that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So faith, therefore, is birthed in us by hearing God's word, by hearing what God's saying to us. That is where assurance comes from. When I know what God has said to me, I have assurance when I make an assumption that I think, uh, you know, God, this is kind of what should happen, or maybe I thought that it was going to happen that way, then I'm making an assumption of God. I'm not necessarily uh, in the right place there. But if I want assurance, I've got to get a word from God. I've got to open up my scriptures. How do I know the character and the nature of God? I go to the word with the Holy Spirit, and I ask Him to show me, God, who are you? As you read through this book, you see 
person after person after person encountering this living God. And in every encounter, he gives part of himself to them. I don't know if you've noticed that. Sometimes he, he, he shows them how he is the provider. Abraham, he calls God what? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. You know, before that, we didn't see the, the necessarily the understanding of God being the provider until provision was needed. And in that moment, he experienced God as provider. God revealed something of himself to Abraham, which then became something that he carried in his testimony. So my faith is not based upon my assumptions, but upon the assurance that God is who he says he is, and that his word is true, and what he says to me, he is faithful to complete. But also that I have a conviction then. And the difference, you know, where we can live is that our faith is based on conviction or on convenience. Conviction or convenience. I don't know if, if the, the scriptures uh, give much of a, a, a story about a convenient kind of faith. The faith I see scripture talk about is, is a faith that is based in conviction, knowing that my life may be taken. That's not convenient. God, I'll follow you to this point, and then as soon as it gets uncomfortable, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on my own. I'm going in a different direction. It talks about an enduring faith that has a conviction that I have to do what God says because He is God. And as difficult as that can be, I'm going to follow him anyway and ask for the grace that he can give me to walk out that life. So a, a, a faith that has assurance and a conviction. I know that I know that I know that he is God. And you know what? Sometimes you can't explain that, right? Sometimes you just have to trust him. That's what it says in the next part there in Hebrews 11, the next verse it says, uh, for by it, so for by what? For by faith, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. For by faith, the people of old, so those who had come before, received their commendation. When you're studying scripture, something that, that, that might be helpful is as you come through a passage and you see a common word that is used uh, you know, multiple times, there's usually a reason behind why that's used so many times. So to have a look at what that means. In the ESV, this word is uh, translated com commendation. And you'll see that again and again. It talks about this commendation that, that comes from God. Not condemnation. Commendation that comes from God to these people who had faith in Him. But it's really important. I think this is a, 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 you know, a, a good kind of clarifying text it says that by it, by faith, they were commended by God or they were, were considered righteous by God because of their faith. Not because of what they did. Not because of what they did, but because of the faith that they had. And we understand that the faith that they had caused them to do what they did. We can, we can easily kind of get uh, confused when we look at the Old Testament and think that God has had some sort of kind of you know, behavioral change happen as he comes into the New Testament. Back in the Old Testament, he seems real angry. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, telling people what to do. There's a lot of laws. There's a lot of things like that. And then he has some sort of reformation in his heart and becomes Jesus. And it's like really nice in the New Testament. God did not change. 
He has not changed. And so if that, is our, uh, if that is our filter, then we need to look at why we're looking at it that way. We need to go back and we understand that even here, as he's writing in the new covenant, he's making sure that they understand that those who were righteous, considered righteous in the old, were done so because of faith, not because of what they did. It's the same now. We have righteousness because of faith, not because of what we do. So he's clarifying for them again, even those who were in the old, those who came before, they were made righteous by their faith. And their faith then has an outworking. It empowers them to live the will of God. It says then, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that we, what is seen was not made of those things that are visible. Okay. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the Word of God. By faith. You know, it takes an element of faith to believe that God created this whole thing the way that He did. And we don't necessarily have all of the mathematical calculations for how that worked out, but by faith we believe that God is the Creator and that He created this. And I can tell you right now there's an attack on that truth. That God is the creator. You know, that, that we just kind of evolved. We just kind of became. It's amazing. It's amazing to think that. Why is that? Because if you cut the creator out, then hope, there's no hope. There's no purpose. You look at countries where, where uh, there is like this fatalistic kind of uh, religion or belief, belief system where life is just nothing. You're just here and then you're gone and then you come back as a cockroach. Like, like it, I'm not, you know, trying to mock people, but I'm just saying that you take the creator out and life has no purpose. We're just kind of like germs that have evolved. Come on. But it takes faith for us to believe that God did it the way he did it because we don't necessarily have all of the calculations. But can I tell you this? Science right now is actually catching up to the word of God. And science is trying to say the Word of God is so outdated. How do people believe that archaic kind of book? How do they believe that? But guess what? Science now is just finding out about things like the brain. Finding out that, that what God said about renewing your mind, there is actually, that's actually physiological. Like that, that, that actually takes place in your body, the renewal of those circuits in your mind. Science is catching up right now. Do you know how many people have, have set out on this path to disprove God and ended up getting saved? Because they came to the, the conclusion that all of, that, all of the things that they, they investigated pointed them to the thing that there has to be a creator. I remember sitting in the... Um, we did... Uh, when we were going to have kids, we had this, you know, those pre, pre-birth kind of classes that they do at the hospital... And I remember this lady, the, the midwife, she's a bit of a hippie. She was like, pretty cool, but she was like, you know, she, yeah, she's kind of out there. And she had some views on life and how we got here and the, and the whole thing about that. And a uh, beautiful lady, but we didn't really agree on everything. But I remember her saying, you know, how incredible is the universe that these little babies would come in and, and they've got exactly what they need in the body. And me and Stella thinking, come on, how do you not see God here, to hear that first heartbeat, how do you not understand that there is an incredible creator? 
But it takes faith to believe that he is the creator and that he, by the word, spoke this into being. But you know it takes faith as well? It takes a measure of faith to believe science. Either way, it's in something. Without even realizing it, you're putting your trust right now in those chairs. And you're lucky that we got new chairs. Because for a while there, we had chairs that broke a lot. And it wasn't a real good thing to put your faith in. You've got faith right now without realizing it, that that lighting bar is not going to fall on that row. You're trusting that, or you're hoping. Hopefully we're assured of that, otherwise we won't be can have a conviction. We'll, have, we'll actually have a criminal conviction for squashing people. But it takes faith to believe that God is who he says he is. And those are the questions of faith that we've got to kind of wrestle with and allow him to speak in. But guess what? You're not always going to have the answers. I, I feel like I've come to that place where I'm almost, almost comfortable knowing that I don't know it all. And that there is an element of God that will always remain a mystery until we're face to face with him. That there's, there's, there's a kind of a bit of God that, you know, even though he's taking me to deeper revelation, that there's still more. Still more we don't understand. And we believe that by faith. So he gives this, this uh, kind of encouragement around faith and this definition of faith uh, and, and says, like, this is what faith is, and it takes faith for that. But then he goes on, the writer goes on to say, and here are some examples of what that faith looks like when it's at work in someone's life. So we read in uh, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. There's that word again. He was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So now we see some outworkings of faith, some examples of faith. And I want to call this, this example here a faith that, got, that puts God first. A faith that puts God first. So he gives this example of Abel and Cain. We're familiar with Abel and Cain, brothers, a uh, little bit of sibling, sibling rivalry going on here. They are instructed in, or they're not even instructed to, in Genesis 4, we see this story. Can we put that up, Phoebe? Genesis 4. Have you got that? And again, she brought his, I'll, I'll read it out, because as I said, you're going to cross back and forth as you read this letter. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So that was what they did. That was their roles. That was their, their occupation, their livelihood. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So Cain brings an offering. And it's what he did. He brought from what he had. And then Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So they both brought offerings, and they both brought from what they were producing, what their livelihood was, and yet God was pleased with one, and he was unpleased with the other. First observation here, when I read this, I was like, and that is proof that God is not a vegan. They brought vegetables, and he took the lamb. It's like me. You bring me a plate of vegetables, I ain't pleased. 
You bring me some lamb chops, a bit of marinade, ooh, and I'm, I'm your friend. But that's, that's bad exegesis. That's just my interpretation. What we're seeing here is that, that Abel brings an offering and Cain brings an offering and God re- re- rejects one and he accepts the other and he's displeased with one and he's pleased with others. So what's the differentiation? We see it. It says that by faith, Abel brought his, his offering. Cain just brought the offering. Abel brought it in faith. You know, God is more interested in your heart than what you bring to him. He's more interested in, in your heart and, and the heart with which you do things than what you actually do. Did you know that? That he, he considers the faith, the heart, the motivation, the why, not just the act. Look throughout Scripture, particularly Old Testament, you'll see God's like, you sing my praises with your lips, but your hearts are distant. You worship me in, in, in the act, but you don't love me with your heart. And so here we see that Abel brought an offering of faith, Cain brought an offering. How would we know the difference? Well, we can't see into a person's heart, but God can. God can see why they brought that offering. God can see the heart with which they brought it, with what they offered. But here is one thing that I I do find interesting in this text in, in, in Genesis 4. Can we put that back up, Phoebe, where it talks of Abel's offering, the next one, next one. Yeah, and Abel also brought of the firstborn. He brought from his first. I think there's an encouragement that this type of faith puts God first. Cain brought from his produce. Abel brought the best of his produce. Cain brought parts of it. Abel brought the first of it. And I believe that that when we bring our best to God, that he sees the heart with which we do that. And it's not about Abel trying to outdo his brother. If you've got brothers and sisters, you know that that happens. Like you want to have the best, you know, you want parents' attention. So you try and do the best. You try and give the best. You try and do that. It's not about that. We see that God recognizes his heart was filled with faith. And out of faith, he wanted to give of his best. This is another principle that, that goes throughout Scripture where uh, we're called to. You watch what happens later in uh, Exodus. They're called to bring the first fruits, bring the first of their, of their crops, to bring the first and the best into the storehouse, to bring the first and the best to God. And that is to offer of our hearts the best that we have, to say that, God, you are first in my life, and so I'm going to give you first. There's an, there's an example in, in the New Testament where uh, there's this widow who gives a couple of coins. And Jesus in this temple sees this demonstration of faith. And he doesn't just comment on the amount that she's giving. He's not blown away that she's giving a couple of pennies. He's blown away that she's giving from what she does, from the best of what she has. He sees her heart. It's an offering of faith. Faith puts God first. Faith believes that God is worth the best. Faith believes that I'm going to bring the best that I have. I'm going to give the best that I have. I'm going to give the first. And I'm going to trust God with the rest. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of tension where you're like, uh, you know, money is a good, a, good, a good example of this. And money is a good thing because it tests our heart. 
And our faith towards finances is something that really does test our heart. But where you've been like, uh, I've got this much left and, and I, I want to give, but I kind of want to make sure that I'm okay and so I'm not going to give of that, but I'll give what I've got left over or I'll give from thing. You know, it takes faith to say, God, you first. I'm going to take from everything I have and I'm going to give it to you first. Faith that puts God first. We see that there, that this was an offering of faith that put God first. The next verse there, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had, not, had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Another example, and you may think that this is kind of a, an abstract example to you, someone like Enoch, who we don't actually read too much about. There's a couple of uh, passages on him which explain what his life was like. Uh, and, and those passages are in Genesis chapter 5, and it speaks of how Enoch walked with God all the days of his life, lived for 365 years, and he walked with God all those days of his life. We, we see that. We see an example in Jude where he, uh, he, he, it was said what he said, that he called people to righteousness in life in his generation. And at that point in Jude, it actually says that uh, Enoch was the seventh from, Abraham, uh, from Adam. He was the seventh generation from Adam, which is interesting because you see later that this is actually a, uh, almost a genealogy that's being outworked in these first few chapters as he talks about Cain and Abel and then later on they are the great, 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 grand, seven times grandfathers of, or Seth is, the brother, is the so they're in the lineage of Adam. And then three generations later, we see Noah. This is a faith that trusts God with your past, your present, and your future. A faith that trusts God with your past, your present, and your future. What did Enoch do in his present day? We don't see any mighty exploits. We don't hear about any conquests. We don't hear about anything that, that, that you might think might grab your attention. This is what he did. He walked with God for all of his days. He walked closely with God. He was in relationship with God. And that's what he's commended for. Because that relationship was a relationship based on faith. He had faith in God and he walked with God. But a faith to trust that your past, that God will use your past. That as Enoch was, was walking on the earth, how many of us understand that even generations before Enoch's purpose was being worked out? That God uses his past and his lineage, his heritage, to release him into the life that he has. To trust God with your past. Now, some of us may have pasts that we think, man, I wish we could just kind of write that off. I wish that, you know, part of this part of my, that part of my story, 
man, I just wish that we could kind of burn those pages and start again. But can I say to you, God wants to redeem your past. God wants to use the ugly parts of your past. He's, he's using those things. He's redeeming those things. He's transforming you from that person that you used to be. But that past, God can use that. He can use your story to help others. He can use what you've been through to reach others. God wants to redeem those pasts that we want to release and we want to forget. But, you know, he also wants to use the, the past, the, the lineage. And I felt to encourage people here that, that if you look back along your family tree, you see that there have been strong men and women of faith who have given you a platform to be where you are today, that have prayed for you, that have believed for you, that have gone before you. And we've got to be thankful to God for the heritage that he has for us and trust that he can use what he has done in the past in preparing you for where you are right now for his glory. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. I know I hear people say, you know, I grew up in church. I don't have a testimony. I don't have a story. My story is like I went to church. I've kind of known Jesus for my whole life. Can I tell you, I didn't grow up in church. My, my, my life was a mess. But my hope is that my kids' story is I grew up in church. I knew Jesus loved me. I knew from a long time, uh, from a young age, that there was a God that loved me. And he is for me. And he cares for me. He loves me. And I didn't have to do that sort of stuff. My hope is that that, that, that is their story. And that my past then can help to bring them to that place. But also to trust for your future. Enoch, it says, the, the, the amazing thing about him was that he was there and then he wasn't there. He was like the you know, extreme missing person. He was just kind of going through life with God and then God took him. And it said that he spared him death. He spared him death because he was pleased with him. It was a reward to him for the faithfulness in his relationship with God. Crazy, mind-blowing. He was there and then he wasn't. Are you trusting God for your future? See, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And, and I ask that, are you trusting God for, for what's to come? Enoch was, was taken. What about are we trusting God for him to come back? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I'm going to keep preaching it. Jesus is returning. Are we trusting him? Are we looking forward with expectation for him to come back? Do we trust God with our future? And it says there that Enoch pleased God. And before he was commended as he was he was commended as having pleased God, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God is a rewarder of those who seek him. But it requires faith. Faith, this is a measure of faith to go to him, to have relationship with him, to believe and to trust him. And then he rewards those who trust him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, let, let me just kind of make sure that we get this because I've, I've actually sat and, and heard someone preach before about how we have to work for the smile of God. And I heard that and I was like, Oh, I understand the, the, the heart behind that. You want God to, you want your life to please God. You want God to be pleased with you. 
But we don't work for the smile of God. We, we live from the smile of God. You have been accepted in Christ. You've been made righteous because of Christ. And you know why God is pleased with you? Because of Jesus. Because he sees Jesus in you like he sees you under that covering of his son. And he says that you are righteous because of Christ. And so live from that place where I, I am pleasing to God. My life is an offering to him. And I want to, him to be pleased with my decisions, with, with the way that I live. But let that come from a place where you're not jumping on the treadmill of performance and trying to earn his favor and trying to, trying to make sure that he get, you get his approval. Because if you are in Christ, you've already got it. You already have it. He looks at you and he sees righteousness. He looks at you and he sees newness of creation. He looks at you and he says he sees his son and his daughter. And he's not the kind of dad that's like come hitting you with a stick, trying to make sure that you, you, you weigh up, that you add up to this, you measure up to what he's expecting. He's the kind of dad that's going, he's walking with you. He's standing at the finish line of that race and he's saying, come on, come on, you can do it, you can be here. He's also the dad that walks alongside and holds your hand when you fall and he, he wants to be there with you. And he says that you are the righteousness in him. By faith, we receive this. So it takes a measure of faith to, to let go and let God. It takes a measure of faith to get off the treadmill of trying to prove and approve and make him approve. And just to sit there and realize that he loves you. You know, he's not going to love you any more or any less if you serve in church. He's not going to love you any more or any less if you join a life group. He's not going to love you any more or any less if you preach he loves you the same. It doesn't change. He loves you and live from that place and then let those other things come from that place of knowing that I am accepted, I'm approved because of Jesus. I'm his because of Jesus. Trust faith for the, for the future. But then he finishes off with this in verse 6. I'm going up to verse 7. And then next week we have a guest minister coming to share for our family service. But verse faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So the next example that we're given is Noah and we'd be familiar with Noah's story. Where, where God had kind of said, like, the, the world is an absolute mess. People are so violent. That's one of the things that, that you know, hurt his heart. Was there was just this violence. And he's like, we're going to reset. There's going to be a, a flood that comes. And he speaks to this guy called Noah, who he saw as, as someone who upheld, who, who had a reverent fear for him. And he calls Noah to, to build this ark. You know the story. Probably heard it many times. Can you imagine being Noah in those days? Noah's example is one that is an example of, of a faith that is fearless when it comes to looking foolish. A faith that is like, I'm going to trust God even if everyone else laughs at me. I'm going to trust God even if everyone else ridicules me. The scriptures tell us that at, to this point it had not rained. They didn't have concept of what this flood was going to look like. And so when God speaks to Noah about building this huge boat, this huge ark, can you imagine the ridicule that would have come? Can you imagine the people that were thinking, what, what is he doing? 
He was warned 120 years he had to warn people, to talk to people, to build this ark before the flood came. And he, he, he spoke the message, gave opportunity, come in the boat, come in the ark, but, but no one. He had a faith that believed God, even though he had no concept of what this could look like, what this flood was going to look like. He, he believed God and he did what God said. He was obedient to him. So this is not just a faith that recognizes God because even the demons recognize him. Scripture says that even the demons know that he is Lord, but they don't submit to him. They're not uh, submitted to his authority. They come under his authority, but not in that way. This is a faith that says that he is God and I'm going to do what he says, that I'm going to live a life of obedience, even when it looks silly, even when it seems foolish, even when it doesn't add up, I'm still going to follow him. Even when everyone else is saying, what are you doing? Why are you building that boat? You've been doing that for so many years now and there's no water. You're still going on about that Christian stuff? You're still going to church? You've been doing that for many years now. You're still believing? You're still trusting? Oh, bless you. You know, that was one of the things that came to the, the early church. They got mocked because they were believing Jesus was coming back. Read about in Peter. He's still not back. It's been a while. He's going for lunch. What's happening? You guys are still believing that? And they stayed firm to their conviction that he is coming back. You know, there's going to be times when God speaks something to you and it's going to be tested. It's going to be tested sometimes by your brothers, sometimes by your sisters. David, when he stepped out into the, the battlefield against Goliath, you know, his first test came from his brothers. What are you doing? You're trying to make a name for yourself. I've got the conviction that I'm going to step into this. To believe, to have that faith, that faith that believes, that faith that says, even though this looks silly, even though this doesn't add up, even though the, 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 the numbers don't crunch. You know, I hear about people who get a job offer and they're like, I feel like God is actually leading me in this direction. But the wage is less. The, the, the workplace is, is different. It's not what I'm used to. But I feel like God's actually saying to me, go in that direction. And when I do the pros and the cons and when I add up all the finances, it doesn't make sense. But I feel like God's saying to go in that direction. Anyone ever been in that situation where God is saying something to you and it seems like that does not add up? Do you have faith that will be fearless even when it seems foolish? Do you have a faith that says, I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to go in that. Oh, it seems everyone else is like laughing at me. I'm going to believe him. You know, evangelism, where they talk about sharing the gospel. You know, this takes a, an element of fearlessness to, to, to preach the word, to preach the gospel, to share Jesus. And many of us, our mouths are closed because we're actually more afraid of what someone else would think or what someone else would say than we have the conviction of the message. Or we kind of polish it, kind of make the gospel sound a little bit more attractive, a bit more, you, you can take it on. A faith that is fearless, even when it seems like foolish. And the writer here says that as Noah did this, he was commended. He was commended by God. A faith... This is, the, like, this is the crazy bit about it, right? Because we also see in this letter that 
it says that we're called to look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith. So even to have faith, we need God to do a work in us to have faith. We can take faith as, this is what can happen, we can distort faith as another work. Whereas I just want to try harder to have faith. I just want to try and stir my heart a little bit harder to have faith. But even that is a work of God, to, to give us the faith to believe. The faith to believe. And to have a faith that seems foolish sometimes. We're going to finish off with a video of a testimony of a man who uh, was a pastor and uh, just something that God called him to do. And I think it's, you know, a bit of this foolishness thing. Can we show that video, please, Phoebe? And so I was a young pastor and somebody in our church was in the hospital and I needed to do a hospital visit. And so I grabbed a little Bible that would fit in my pocket because, again, I was in my 20s and I could read small print. (laughs) If if you don't understand that, you're young. (laughs) Congratulations. So I grabbed the little Bible, I put it in my pocket, and I was walking out of the house, jumping in my truck to go to the hospital. And uh, I felt like God spoke to me and said, bring your big Bible. And I started arguing with the Lord. I was like, Lord, I have the little Bible. The little Bible has all the same stuff as the big Bible. I'm not bringing the big Bible. I'm not bringing the big Bible. So now I'm arguing with God about the size of the Bible. And then ultimately, I'm arguing with God. And he's like, bring the big Bible. Bring the big... He didn't say it like that. He was nice. But like, um, bring the big Bible. I was like, no, I'm bringing the little Bible. He's like, bring the big Bible. So what I did, I was like, okay, I'm bringing both. Let's see. It's like a half submission. <laughs> so I grab the big Bible, the little Bible. I jump in my truck. I park at the hospital. I'm going to go in and do this hospital visit. And uh, God spoke to me and said, bring the big Bible. I said, I'm not bringing the big Bible into the hospital. I'm bringing the little Bible. The little Bible is fine. God's like, no, bring the big Bible. It's like, I'm not bringing the big Bible. I put the big Bible on the dash so the Lord could see it. Like, no, no, no. There it is. I got out, I locked the truck, I put the little Bible in my pocket, and I walked in. As I'm entering toward the hospital, God says, you go back and get the big Bible. He's like, I'm not going back and get the big Bible. No, this is the hill I'm dying on today. I'm little Bible, not big Bible. That's, that's what we're doing today. You picked the wrong guy. God's like, go get the big Bible. I was like, oh. okay, so I go, now I'm defiant. I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring the big Bible, but I'm also bringing the little Bible. So I bring both Bibles. Now I'm so, <laughs> you're from Arizona, you know what that is. So, um, so I walk into the hospital, there's a woman from another country, looks up, starts bawling, runs to me. She asks me this question. She's, she's very emotional and anxious. She asks, are you the man of God? I'm like... <laughs> Now we're just fighting over how big the Bible should be. Like I'm, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm the man of God. I said, why is that? She said, uh, she said, I committed adultery on my husband. He doesn't know. She said, I'm pregnant with another man's baby. I'm here to have an abortion. 
She said, but something in me just feels like this is wrong. And she said, so I just said, God, if you're real, send the man of God. And she said, I saw the big Bible and I knew that you were the man of God. I kid you not. So I told her, I said, well, yeah, here in this big Bible, (laughs) it says that you're a sinner and what you've done deserves death. But Jesus died, so you don't need to die. And he will forgive you and he will love you and he he will never change his mind regarding you. I said, furthermore, that baby in your womb is probably a son and he doesn't need to die because the son of God died. And God has a destiny for you and he has a destiny for your unborn baby. And I kid you not, she gave her life to Jesus and she asked me, could I have your big Bible? I said, yeah, I got a little one. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but God's doing something. So have a faith that is fearless when it seems foolish. Let's finish with this. I just want to read this from Hebrews 12. Just kind of skip ahead a bit. As I said before, it says, we, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily traps us. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, regarding, disregarding its shame. Keep our eyes on Jesus. So I don't know where you are even in this day, in this week, with your faith. Maybe, it's, maybe you feel like it's being shaken. Maybe you feel like it's being tested. Perhaps you feel like it's being refined. Maybe you feel like it's failing. Maybe you feel like your faith is kind of gone. The encouragement to everyone at every point, at that, whether you're on the, the scale of my faith is so strong right now, or you're at the scale of I don't even know if I've got faith, the encouragement was the same. Look to Jesus. Put your eyes on Him. Look to Him. He's the one that strengthens your faith. He's the one that stirs your faith. He's the one that grows your faith. He's the one that that, that will enlarge your faith. He's the one that will comfort you when you feel like you have no faith. So keep your eyes upon Him and allow Him to do what He wants to do in your heart. I want to pray this morning for us. And I don't know where you are on that journey of faith or where you are on that spectrum of faith where you feel like, I am so faith-filled right now, or you're like, I'm struggling. I wasn't even going to come this morning. Uh, yeah, about to walk out and give up. But God does. God knows where you are. He sees you. He is the God that sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And He wants to meet you wherever you are on that spectrum. In that place. So can we close our eyes together and just pray? Father, we thank You for Your presence here today. 
We thank you that we haven't just come into an empty basketball court to have a good time, but we've come to encounter the living God. We thank you that in this day, you're beginning to stir faith in some of us to believe for those things that you've put in our hearts. And we thank you that in this day, you're starting to revive the the heart of those in this room that feel like faith has diminished, it's, it's almost gone. We thank you that you are the God that knows us intimately, that knows us individually, that knows every hair on our head or every lack of hair on our head. God, you know every part of us. You know what's going on inside of us. And just as Cain and Abel brought sacrifices, God, you knew what was at the heart of one. And so today we pray for a refreshing of faith for those particularly in this room that have uh, feel like they're just failing in it. Just feels like kind of, I'm not sure where I'm at, but I'm still here. Father, I pray that, that in this day that they would be encouraged, that that faith would be strengthened. That faith that may feel like a mustard seed, that may feel like a miniature version even of what it was. God, that you would breathe life right now into that faith. That you would hold tight everyone in this room that feels like they're slipping, that they're, they're falling. That you by your Spirit would just come now and strengthen would encourage, would impart faith. We thank you, Father. I thank you for those in this room today that have, you've got the inkling already. There's, there's a couple of people, you've already got that inkling. You know that God is leading you in a certain direction. But it's not going to be convenient and it's going to require a step of faith. So, Father, we pray for the grace that is needed in that for each person that is at, almost at that, that crossroads of which way am I going to go? Am I going to go the way that God has shown me or am I just going to step back? I pray that there would be a measure of faith even now deposited in their hearts to believe that they are secure in your hands and that as they step out, God, that you're going to open doors, that you're going to make things happen that they thought were impossible. We thank you that we get to worship the God of the impossible. The God that is not restricted, that has no limitation. The God that, that has exceeding and abundant power. And so I pray that you would stir our faith again to believe for the miraculous. To believe for those things that, that uh, God, you've put inside of us. Those things that we see that we think are so far away. I pray for faith today to take hold of. To lay hold of everything you've put in our hearts. Would you stir us again? I pray that we would be a fearless people who revere you and who will do exactly what you call us to. We thank you, God, for stirring again faith. And, and I pray it's not a fluffy kind of thing. It's not just a here today and gone tomorrow type thing. That this is like crystallized faith in our hearts. Solid bedrock upon which we stand. And we know that this is only because of you, Jesus. 
And so we honor you this morning. We thank you this morning for the gift of faith that you have given to each one of us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.